This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to tonight's No Near Never podcast. Full show tonight and lots and lots to pick over after Sunday's hammering at the hands of West Brom. Um, guests on this week's show are Kevin Robinson, uh, Adam Heap, Ian Creamer, and we've also got Dan from the West Brom blog, Baggy's Facts, who is probably going to be a lot happier about the game than we were. Um... Can I just say, Jimmy, that's the most depressing sounding intro you've ever... You, just your voice sounds so... And I was trying not to sound that depressed as well. You sound like you're about to cry. I do, yeah. Well, there were times during the game that I thought I was about to cry. Dan, we'll start with you then. Give us some positivity. Three wins in a week for West Brom, and I suppose from your perspective, pretty much everything went right. Yeah, you could say that. Um, it's been a frustrating start to the season, in all honesty. Um and many people are questioning the appointment of Alan Irvine. Um, up until probably the Spurs game, we've, we've gone to Spurs and, and got three points there. Great defensive performance, made a massive difference having their Scott starting for us. Um, we followed that up with two late goals to secure victory in the Capital One Cup midweek, which was like a, a great feel-good. It, it put a positive spin on the on the, um, on the the addition to, to winning at Tottenham. Um and the atmosphere before the game against you guys was completely different to what we've been used to. Pre-Everton, I think we were still a bit more doom and gloom. That was our last home game in the league before we played you guys. Um, but there was just a different feel. There was, you know, there just appeared to be a bit more positivity in the pub before the game. People felt that we we were going to get a result, and that probably wasn't because because we were, you know, the opposition. Um, no disrespect to you guys, but it's it, it's probably going to be a tougher game against Everton. But it it was just. We felt that as a team we 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 we're getting somewhere now. Um, so of course going into the game, um, I, I actually thought we were going to win it, and it's, it's rare that happens. To be honest, I'm not. I mean, I'm not the most pessimistic, but if you've been through the last twelve months like we have, um, I mean, yesterday yesterday's win was the first time we've won back to back games in the Premier League for just over a year. So that just tells you the amount of consistency we've had. We've had nothing really. Um, and I'm just chuffed with the performance that, that the lads put together. It was a great team performance. Um, a couple of individual, um, couple of indi- individual performances that, that really stand out above the rest. Um, but I can't really put my finger on a player that played uh, badly against you guys. 
um, which is unfortunate for you because um, everything just sort of came together for us. So, yeah, I think I think the disappointment from Burnley's perspective was was how little we sort of contributed to the game, but we do have to give West Brom some credit as well. I mean, I've described the West Brom performance as merely competent on another website, and that was maybe a little bit harsh, but I do think we were pretty much there for the taking. Um, Adam, we'll come to you next. What was your take on the Burnley performance? Oh, pretty poor all around. I think I uh, was sitting at home watching it with my uh, girlfriend, who is a West Brom fan, believe it or not. And uh, well, I, I really thought it was the first um, first game that we might away game we might look at taking three points from. Um, but uh, you know, not to be a combination of a bunch of things really. Uh, Burnley players all pretty poor, um, not given a space or formation really by Dyche. I think for for the game that we had. And uh, obviously all the injuries that we're missing, I think it's just a bunch of things uh, and playing West Brom at the wrong time too, as uh, as he just said, um, has led to us kind of running into a bit of a wall. Maybe just one of those days all round, but Ian, it, it was particularly disappointing, wasn't it? The way we, we really capitulated at times and the, the defending from set pieces, it was substandard. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm pleased now. I'm pleased to say that uh, I only saw the uh, the highlights on Match of the Day 2. Um, I was out on Sunday afternoon and, and with hindsight, I'm very glad that I was and didn't have to sit through the full 90. Um, from what I've seen of it, I mean, it did look pretty poor. Um, it looked like there wasn't a lot of structure around us, although it was interesting to hear some of the comments on the analysis on Match of the Day where they were saying, well, look, you know, in open play, we look pretty solid, but the set pieces clearly were just a disaster. Um, so a lot of work needs to go on the training ground there. But yeah, overall, it looked uh, it looked poor, it looked flat, looked, looked lifeless. Um, so so really disappointing, I think. A couple of people pointed out that um, the, the injuries, firstly, obviously play a part. And when you're without your first choice central midfield and strike force, it's going to cause a problem. But seemingly. Um, Jones and Marnie were close to being fit so presumably the game plan was including them in the team and for them to not be able to play it might have been that we were cobbling together a team in the dressing room maybe before kickoff. Um, Kevin you were particularly upset with the performance weren't you? Um, I was yeah um, I actually I actually thought it was particularly in the first half West Brom were, weren't particularly impressive I don't think they offered um anything particularly exciting early on in the game uh, but they certainly grew with confidence very quickly I think you, you could definitely see that their performance levels were rising quite quickly um, particularly through the first half and then in the second half they were playing really comfortably actually um, I think they just realised you know as we did game over I think as soon as the first goal went in that was pretty much game over because that was our game plan gone um, up until then yeah we were solid but that's just because we had we had pretty much eleven men behind the ball. Uh, as soon as that first goal went in, we 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 opened up hugely because that's it. We, I think we were going for the nil nil, and we thought actually, damn, that's gone now. What do we do? Um, and it was went downhill from there very, very 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 quickly. Yeah, I think the first half hour we we, we were containing West Brom, and I think containing is the right word because it seems to me that. Even from the kickoff, we were like we were playing for nil nil. Um, Stephen Reid was an interesting one. Came into the side for his first start in the league, playing in the holding role, 
which I was maybe a little bit surprised at. Ex-Albion player, of course, as well. Dan, what did you make of Stephen Reid's performance? I just... When I saw the team sheet and I saw that Steve, I saw that Trippier was playing and I thought, so Stephen Reid must obviously be playing in midfield. And for me, it was, well, for many Albion fans, it, it, we were chuffed to see to see that happening um, because he's, he's rarely played in midfield for us during his time with us. Um, maybe three or four occasions I can remember, probably just coming on a substitute to, to see the game out from a defensive midfield position. Um, and at right back... He's lost his legs anyway. Um, there was many occasions last season where we'd never, we'd never, you know, we'd never slay Stephen Reid because of the services given to the club, but he just wasn't up to the pace really last season. Um, and probably playing at right back, if you're going to be sitting more and defending deep, then that's not going to be an issue. Um, but getting up and down the pitch and, and trying to, to support attacks as well, um, you know, he's going to come unstuck. And, and we were just passing the ball. We were dominating midfi- the midfield and, and passing the ball around you guys. We were getting that much space in the centre of the park, looking to the wings, and we were getting that many crosses in and, and pushing you so far back and getting so many corners. Um, it, it really it was a matter of time before we got the first goal, I think, due to due to the, the personnel rather than the defensive tactics, I feel. The first goal was certainly coming, even though, it, from our part of view, it was probably a soft one. I mean, we can talk about the goals in detail maybe a, a little bit later, but I think one of the, the big problems for Burnley was we seemed to be playing with a three-man central midfield and none of them were really specialist midfielders. So, as Dan said, Reed really a, a backup right-back, although he has played in midfield. Scott Arfield was playing central midfield and although he's supposed to be one, he always looks awful when he plays there for us. And George Boyd was playing far too deep for someone who's meant to be a playmaker, so... Um, it just meant Jokovic ended up getting totally isolated and when we did get a rare touch of the ball there was nowhere for it to go because no one was showing for the ball in midfield either um, you, had, uh, you had Ross Wallace playing him. nobody seems to know whether we're playing because there was some point with a 10 minute spell where Ross Wallace was in, in centre midfield as well which um, he's, he was useless on the wing but when he came in, in midfield he might as well have been down down at Burger King having a burger or something because there was no point to him being there I don't know I don't I don't, I don't know. I really I really don't know. There's a graphic on BBC Sport. Kevin Kilbarn's done quite an interesting article. It's worth reading. And um, it's the new thing. There's, everyone seems to have got bored of heat maps. So the new thing is um, average position. And Ross Wallace is the furthest forward of any Burnley player, like way beyond Jukovic. So he clearly wasn't covering his fullback, but he wasn't providing any attacking threat either. Um Adam, Reed and Wallace were the two that came off at half-time. They were probably as bad as anyone, but really there were f- probably four or five candidates, weren't there, to come off at half-time? Yeah, there were. I think um, I think the reason Reed came off is because, uh, obviously, Dyche probably wanted to give Shalabar a turn in there. I mean, that, that's, that is his specialist role as that defensive midfielder player, and I think he was probably better suited for it, and I'm not sure why he didn't start, unless it's some fitness thing that we're not aware of, although I don't see why. You know he's not ready for it at this point. But regardless of all of that, I think uh, he was the best candidate for Reed because um, Reed wasn't clearly doing his job on on Cessignon, who was the uh, the attacking midfielder for West Brom. And then Wallace, I, I commented during the game on Twitter that he looked a bit like a lamppost because I agree he just did nothing, um, served no purpose. I, I was just baffled by uh, by what he was doing on the field at all, especially in central midfield when he when we've usually deployed him as a winger. Yeah, he's, I, I think. 
once you see Ross Wallace on the team sheet for a Premier League game, you know that we're going to be up against him. Okay, it was a complete non-performance. I mean, I think Kyle was probably as bad as Wallace and seems to have escaped a lot of the criticism, but Wallace is um, often the, the punch bag for Burnley fans. <laughs> Kevin, Wallace and Reed, who do you think was worse out of those two? Um, neither, because they were both pretty much as bad as you could possibly get. It was really, 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 really terrible. Um, I, 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 I think I said in my in my, in my post on the Saturday uh, yesterday. I'm really, really angry about 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 Shallow, but I really cannot understand why he did not play. There's, you can think of three or four different reasons why he might not have played, and none of them is acceptable at all. I mean, I can understand Dice wants. I think you know Dice said he wants to wait, let him settle into the club and the way we're, we're playing everything now. But he's only he's only here for a few weeks. We can't afford to give him three months to settle in when he's going to be gone. If he, if he settles in for three, three weeks and then he can come into the team for one game and then he's back to Chelsea, what's the point in that? Then if he's not fit, then why have we, why have we signed someone on a short-term deal who isn't ready to play? Um, I I think whatever... Obviously, he, hopefully he, he, could, he could play because he came on. He didn't look like he was struggling for fitness or anything like that when he came on in the second half. And when we've got... I can you know, when we've got no literally not a single central midfielder in the team. Having a central midfielder on the bench is indefensible, um, as far as I'm concerned. It seems a perverse decision, doesn't it? I mean, last week we were all talking about switching to a five-man midfield, and I think we were broadly in agreement that that might be a good tactic. Not thinking that Jones and Marnie were both going to be injured, but to then switch to that tactic and not have a central midfielder in the team, it just seems completely bizarre. Um, Ian, the set-pieces, I want to come back to the set-pieces. Last season, they were a bit of a problem as well, but every single corner seemed to cause us a problem. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember being at... Uh, well, QPR was a good example last season, I think, QPR aware, where yeah, every time there was a corner given, you just felt pretty certain it was going to be a goal come out of it and yesterday again from what I saw only only having seen the highlights or the lowlights um, it looked a very similar situation I mean Shackle just got out muscled for the first one um, you know a guy got left completely stood on his own in the six yard box for, for another goal just seemed a bit chaotic and I don't know if it's just a case that the, the heads had gone a bit from the, the pressure that was on them or or they just, as you say, maybe late changes to the team. Um, I just left them a little disorganised. Not sure, but uh, yeah, it looked an absolute mess yesterday, I have to say. And that's the really disappointing thing for me. I mean, the, the four players missing is one thing, but I, I do think it's kind of making excuses to keep going on about that. But surely taking those four out of the team doesn't stop us being able to mark up at corners. It seems like an organisational thing rather than a personnel thing. Um, Dan, it's, it seemed pretty ironic from our perspective that it was Craig Dawson who scored the first goal, considering we spent all summer trying to buy him. Well, he's been a bit of a revelation, um, and I think the whole transfer saga that went on sort of, it, it, you know, it sort of, insp- I think it inspired Irvine, you know, if other clubs are interested in him, he's surely worth something. And with our ageing centre-backs of, of McCauley and Olsen, I mean, They've both been fantastic for us over the years, but going forward, Dawson, do you really want to lose a, a, a you know a former England under twenty one player who cl- clearly is quite a talented centre half? Um, 
you know, I think Irvine's made the right decision and he's, he's just thought, I'm going to stick him in the side. Um, and, you know, with Lescott playing alongside him, I can only see, you know, that partnership getting stronger. Um, and, of course, he does get his fair share of headers, um, sorry, goals from headers. And we was yet to see one, really, for the Baggies. He scored quite a lot for uh, Bolton on loan and he scored a few for, um, for the England under-21s. But pleased to see him hit the, um, hit the net with that one. Um, and like you say, yeah, our, our, our corners and, and our set piece deliveries were really, uh, really um, took their toll against you guys. Chris Brunt, I've, I've always liked Chris Brunt, and his set pieces are always a threat. So it just seems even more strange from a, a Burnley perspective that we defended them so badly. I mean, surely we knew this was going to be a major threat. Um, second half, though, away from the set pieces, it got to a stage where we were being cut open. Pretty much every time Albion came forward, it must have been brilliant to watch from your point of view. In Berahino, you've got a striker who's in really good form as well. Yeah, interesting as well, Gary Neville um, picking him for man of a match, and it'd be great to see him get a chance for England um, first team, um, especially with the uh, European tournament in mind two years two years from now. Um, obviously, the downside of having Berahino playing so well is that if he keeps scoring goals, <clears throat> he's not going to be at the club for much longer. Um, such as the way of you know modern football and, and the money that comes with that. Um, so yeah, absolutely chuffed with the football we were playing. We were playing some really good triangle football in the centre of the park, and we were picking the right balls to play through. Um, and of course, at, at, at times we we weren't having to do that. You were that far penned back. We were spraying the ball to the wings, looking for the perfect pass, rather than rushing the play um, and trying to force a goal. We were almost waiting for the perfect opportunity to try and score. Um, and I, th- I think the, the goal, the goal in the um, second half from Berahino, um, defensively, I think, although although your defence has got three clean sheets before this game, I think defensively at that point maybe you weren't used to losing um, by, by such a scoreline, and and you were struggling a bit. Um, and I, I think it was your left back who was playing Berahino on the line was was all lopsided and. It wasn't even nearly a line, was it? It was, no, it was a squiggle, a defensive squiggle. Yeah, um, yeah. And f- from that point forward, we we sort of enjoyed it, and the atmosphere at the ground was fantastic for a change. Because um, believe you me, we've we've seen some rubbish, you know, over the last year ourselves. Um, ourselves, so um, you know, I, I, f- I think you guys shouldn't be too downhearted. Um, I think Dyche is learning as well. He's new to the Premier League. Um, a lot of your players haven't really had much taste of Premier League football before, and it's it's a massive learning curve. I think I think the step up from a Championship is getting bigger and bigger due to the money involved from from the Premier League, um, and of course you are missing key players. So the game might have been completely different had you um, had you had the, the four players that you mentioned, especially Ings, because when he comes back, he could be the difference between you having a shot at staying up or, or between you going down. To be honest. Well, we hope so, and certainly we, we do appear to like goals. Uh, one final point on West Brom, Dan. You you seem to be the quintessential um, up-and-down team at one point, and the boing-bong baggies thing obviously came about, and I think that's probably what we're aspiring to at the minute. So what advice can you give Burnley as a club for, for going about establishing themselves in the Premier League? I think... I think it helps. Um, I'm not sure how your system works, as in like your boardroom and, and your coaching setup. But we've got a system where, as we've got a head coach rather than a manager, um, and he reports to a director of football, um, 
and the technical director who work in similar roles, um, one overseeing like the admin side of it and one overseeing the football side of it. When we sign players, it's done as a team effort. It's not just the manager um, and it's not just a scouting team. It's, it's sort of like a combined effort. We look at the players. Manager probably has the final say. Um, and I think that system's worked really well for us over the years. Um, and I think a massive key to us, you know, claim, you know, being where we are now was Roy Hodgson. Um, he was an absolute steal at the time um, and he, he was so fantastic for us. Um, and it, it does frustrate me even to this day to see um, to see England fans getting on his back. Because if they knew the kind of coach he was and how good he is with the players, I mean, there's no doubt that, that um, he was he was massive for the club. Um, so the advice that I'd give, really, is that you might have to go down again before you can come back and get stronger. Um, whether that's as possible now due to the, the ever-changing climate in the Championship is such a tough league to get out of. It was probably an easier league to get out of when we were last promoted from it. Um, but I don't think all, like I say, I don't think all's, all's lost for you guys just yet. Um, you know, far from it. You, you've, you've got some decent players to come back into the team. And of course, you've got the January window. And, you know, if, if you can always look for um, the right sort of player um, that, that could change things for you. Um, I can remember back to the Great Escape season for us and we signed Kieran Richardson on loan in January and he was absolutely colossal. Um, and of course you'll be able to look at the you know the bigger the bigger sides will have players available that aren't getting game time regularly week in week out. Who would you know the sort of player that would relish coming to play in the Premier League um, and having the challenge of, of keeping um, a big Premier League side? Um, sorry, a, you know a, a big Championship side, but which, you know trying to stay in the Premier League side up like yourselves. There's well, certainly a long way to go, and I think. Um... You've probably been more positive about our chances than anyone else on the podcast, so thanks for coming on, and we really appreciate the little insight that you've given us there. Um, Adam, to come back to you then, um, we've already mentioned Chalabar, and Kevin in particular was angry that he wasn't in the starting eleven, and I particularly think he should have started as well, but um, he did all right in the second half, didn't he? But it's it's difficult in all circumstances, I suppose, because of the team all down and struggling and so many players injured. What what was your assessment of Shalbar? Oh, I think he did pretty good when he came on. I mean, it was a pretty quick uh, yellow card and, and the right call from the ref when he, as soon as he came on. But uh, just asserting himself in the game, look, I, th- I think it's a tough, tough situation to come into. But um, I think he performed his, his job pretty well. And, uh, Really, it's not. You, it's a difficult picture to paint um, of of how good he can be, based on forty five minutes when you're two 0 down in a game that you are well well behind in. But um, I th- I think he, he distributed the ball pretty well. Seemed like he was willing to go for in for a tackle, and I think I think he's by far the best person in that position. Rather than Reed, if we're going to end up playing that four five one with Jukovic up front until we get another striker back. Um, although personally, I would have rather seen Barnes up there and just go four four two. In which case. Um, You'd think he'd slot into the midfield with someone else there. I think it will be interesting one to see if he's in the team on on Saturday for the next game. That might just depend on whether Jones and Marnie are fit, I suppose. Um, Kevin, to come back to you, how much of the the bad forms do you think was down to the system, and how much of it is down to the tactics and the team selection? A lot of people are saying that when you go four five one, it's inherently defensive, and that we should have gone two up front. Um, it's, it's difficult because I, I, on last week's podcast, I was um, very strongly in favour of the four-five-one. 
Um, but that was in the understanding that it became a much more attacking formation when we have the ball with the, with either the three four three or the four whatever three three or whatever it's going to be. Essentially, more people go forward when we've got the ball, um, and that was my that was my hope, hope what happened. And maybe maybe Dice did want to try that, and maybe having players fall out at the last minute maybe threw that out of the window a little bit. Um, but I, I do really think that the way we set up so defensively, I, I, I'm convinced that we, we were playing for a nil-nil at the very best. And there's that interesting picture, I don't know if you remember, the club tweeted it a while ago with um, with Dice in front of a sign that says, if you if you believe you can't win or something, then you've already lost. And that was kind of what I thought. I don't think we had any belief that we could win the game. Um, and yeah, I really, I really, really do appreciate it. It was so hard because last season... You know, Vings and Johnny, um, Jones and Marnie were such strong uh, partnerships. They they seemed to complement each other so so well. I think Marnie struggled so so much in her Burnley career until Jones came in, and similarly, I think Jones had really struggled to settle anywhere until he came and played with Marnie. So them two, they they were such a strong part of our team last season. But I really, I really don't think that. Missing balls at the last, however, however, you know, the late bit we missed from that. I don't think that that excuses going there for a nil nil at the very best. And I do think, like you said, we opened up in the second half, and, and that's just I think that's just because our game plan had gone, and we didn't really know, really know what to do. It really surprised me, actually. Sorry, Jamie. It surprised me given the number of kind of wide midfield players, wingers, whatever you want to describe them as, that were sat in our midfield. That we didn't attack more, that we didn't kind of get closer to Djukovic. We didn't and get probably, the ball. We never well, had the ball. Yeah, you think that'd be ideal because that's kind of the idea of a four-five-one is that these wide yeah. players can actually then fly up the wing when we've got the ball and kind of bombard their defence. But it just it just didn't happen. We stood still. We got the ball and we stood still. Booted it half a mile up pitch to Djukovic, who tried to sprint another half mile to get to wherever the misplaced ball had gone to. How big's his football pitch? The <laughs> <laughs> midfield five just stood, just stood still in the middle of the pitch, just waiting for it to come back. And no, nobody, other those stats seem to suggest that um, Ross Wallace had gone further forward. I, I don't know where, where he was, but I didn't see it. All, all I saw was our, we, were, we were on the attack and our midfield was pretty much in our, in our own half still. Um like I said, having hovering over wingers is should be ideal for that, really. The problem was there was no shape. I mean, I don't want to keep. It feels like every time I talk, I say something worse about Stephen Reid. But when you're the holding midfielder, you you are responsible for the shape. You've got to make sure the people in front of you are in the right place, and he just wasn't doing that. So people were running past Arfield and Boyd in front of him, and Reid was isolated, and then the back four was isolated, and then. All the pressure just builds because it's constantly attacks, and you can only deal with so many crosses before you start conceding goals, and that was probably what happened. But it wasn't just Reed either. Arfield, people keep telling me he, he should be able to play central midfield because he's supposed to be a central midfielder. I've not seen him play well in central midfield for us yet. He's played there a few times, and he always looks out of position. And he was constantly ahead of the ball, like not even a little bit ahead of the ball. I'm talking twenty yards ahead of the ball. So when we had possession, there was no chance of getting the ball to him. Reed wasn't showing for it in the holding role, and Boyd wasn't able to come sort of thirty yards away from his own goal to get the ball. So we just had no chance of keeping possession, and that's why I think we were so isolated. 
Um, Jukovic here, and he probably had the impossible job, didn't he? But he did have our best chance of the game in the second half. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and I, yeah, I thought he was unlucky there. I mean, he again, you know, typical Duke. He kind of muscled the guy out of it and uh, got a header on target. But um, yeah, you've got to feel sorry for the block, haven't you? You know, he's kind of he's run his legs off really, um, with with absolutely no hope. Uh, and, you know, nothing going on around him. So you know, I, I still kind of remain slightly impressed with him and I think I've said in a previous podcast you know he, he's kind of turned out better than I thought he was going to be but I still don't think he's a player and, and he's never had a you know a, a record of of having goals in him um, so especially when he's effectively up there on his own you know I just don't see where goals are going to come from. His record's a funny one actually because people keep saying he's not a goal scorer and he's never been completely perfect but there have been three different clubs he's scored one in three a couple of loan spells and earlier in his career as well so he can score regularly it's just a, a case of getting the opportunities to him I think um, Adam to come back to you Barnes and Sordell both made an impression of sorts in the second half they were lively I think it's fair to say yeah um, um, Sordell probably the more needed I think with his being the only one with pace out of those forward three but uh, I, I don't know I feel like Barnes is a little too similar to um to Duke to really offer anything different like the West Brom had already managed to uh, to hold off Jokovic on their own like they knew what, they knew the balls that were coming into him the centre backs were dealing with him I mean he, he can out muscle them but they outnumbered him because there were no there was no midfield support um, Sordell was a bit faster managed to get in uh, a little but by that point I think we were already 3-0 down and we were well out of the game and there just wasn't really a lot of belief left in the team that we were going to get anything I think that is one of the problems isn't it I mean We've already said I think we were set up for nil nil, and it just seemed like um, it just seemed like we were always going to be up against it. I think if if it is the case that we thought one at least one of the central midfielders was going to play and then they weren't able to, then it is understandable. But I still don't think that that is an excuse for the lack of. I honestly think some of the players weren't trying hard enough, and that's about as bad as you can say about footballers like if you lack skill that's one thing you can't do much about that but if you're not trying hard enough that's unforgivable and Wallace for me certainly one of them and I also think Kitely but, but you know a lot of people seem to like Kitely off a bit lightly I'm surprised that he was playing after 90 minutes but I suppose he couldn't really take them all off um, Kevin looking ahead to, to next weekend then how many changes do you think are going to be made to this 11 I suppose it depends on on fitness as much as anything uh it really depends on fitness yeah and i think we i think we we need to get back to um tried and tested a little bit really as if we can get as much as we can on um uh, back to the team what is our, our regular team especially getting if we can get jones and it does sound like jones and marnie were close to being fit um this weekend so hopefully they will be they will be back in i think that'll make a big difference because they, they do give us that really solid backbone and I think I think them being missing is part of reason, well, almost the entire reason why Dice was so um, defensive in his, his tactics. In that it was, I think it was just that last minute, just throw something together. And I think having them back in there just gives us that, that bit of confidence to that we can we can do a little bit more, be a bit more adventure. We can break forward a little bit more, knowing that they are going to protect us um, if when we do when we do lose a ball. Um, I was going to say we we 
need to drop the, uh, the, the, the disappointing players from from uh, for Sunday. Sorry, but um, oh, that would leave us. Uh, <laughs> that'd leave us pretty much with an entire new team. Um, but but yeah, I think I think if we can get back to the as, as close as we can to the, the team what was starting the season, um, albeit with with Boyd in for Taylor, um, then. I think we'd I think we'd be happy with that. <laughs> pretty much, we've got we haven't got really much of a choice really because we've got a starting eleven, and that's pretty much it. Outside that starting eleven, um, we haven't got anyone else. So um, if you're looking for an ideal lineup, it's the only starting eleven we've got. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to labour the point, but to make ten signings in the summer and a couple of injuries, and you've got Ross Wallace in the team and Stephen Reid as your only central midfielder, I just find that staggering. Um, we're pretty close to covering as far as we can go with the, the West Brom analysis, I think. But we did have a couple of calls on NNN calls to get through. NNN calls is a new feature on known and ever this season. After every game, we've got um, a voicemail that you can call up and leave your message on the game. We'll put the best ones out on the podcast. So here are all this week's messages. I will put today's result down to um, injuries, hopefully. Marvin Sordell, Ashley Barnes, never seen Premier League players. Really sorry. Hopefully we can move on. Goodbye. Good evening, lads. Uh, Darren McAvitt. Uh Embarrassed, really. Far too many players not up for it today. Uh, that were a game that we could have got something from. Not saying win, but definitely could have come away with a point. Uh, but from first minute to last, second best. Didn't seem interested. Severe lack of quality. Needs sorting big time. Now it's time for Sean Dice to earn his wages. Uh, no, not good enough at all. We move on. Onwards and upwards. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So that was this week's NNN call. If you do want to join in after the Leicester game or after any of the games this season, the number is 01282 570150. That number again, 01282 570150. And that's open after every game. And uh, The best calls we will play out on the podcast as well. Um, we'll do player of the month next. I suppose this is going to be difficult to go through as well after a month where we haven't scored a single goal and we've only got two points. But there might be a couple of candidates, probably not many from the West Brom game. Um, Kevin, can we start with you on player of the month and talk us through some of the, the candidates you think are in the running? So I think until a couple of days ago, um, I was going to go through either Duff or Shackle. I was kind of undecided between the two because we have because we have been so impressive at the back. Um, I, I I have been impressed with Djokovic as well. Um, I think he's been he was one of the few players to do little wrong on, on Sunday. That's probably just because he didn't get anywhere remotely near the ball, so he, he didn't really have an opportunity to do anything do anything wrong. Um, but I think because their impact was was so evident or, or against West Brom, it's going to have to be it's going to have to be either Jones or Marnie. And for me, I'm going to go for um, for David Jones. I think that was pretty solid logic. I think it'd be tough to make a case for anyone who did play at the Hawthorns. Um, Adam, you're next. Then who's your call? Uh, I think I might go for someone that might be a little out of left field, given that he scored zero goals. But I think I'm going to give it to uh, to Jukovic. I think he's shown really that he's got a lot of a lot something. He offers something that Vokes doesn't. I think even though they're both kind of big men, he's he's got a lot of uh, a lot of push on him. A lot of uh, he seems to know where the goal is, although he hasn't actually put one in the back of the net yet. But he's um, I, I think he's he's 
out-muscled enough opposition defenders to show that he's he's got a lot of potential, and I think he's probably my uh, outside pick, given that we've not um, had a lot of outstanding contenders. I think he, he might get some sympathy votes just for how difficult a job he had on Sunday. Um, Ian, where's your nomination going? Well, despite the fact we've, we've let, just let four goals in, I think I'm going to go with Duffer, actually, because I think, you know, given everything, I think he still continues to yeah, exceed the expectations for a, a guy with his background and, and, and his age and, and all of that. So I think, you know, the other games, I think he's he's been tremendous again. So I'll, I'll forgive him um, the, any aberrations from, from Sunday. And, uh, I, I, yeah, definitely vote for Duff. I think uh, I think the, I think the Duff thing is. Uh, I know I, I was saying I ruled him out after after the weekend. I, I just I think it's just because I don't think it, it, it's fair to give to give someone play of month after um, we've just conceded four goals. But I do actually feel, I do feel really sorry for him because they have been so solid in the last few matches, and actually the actual defence wasn't really our biggest problem uh, against West Brom. I know uh, with a couple of individual things, but I do feel I, I do feel sorry for the likes of Michael Duff because. Obviously, the defense is going to get the blame for for the, for the West Brom uh, result, but they have been really solid, and the problems were a lot deeper than that. Yeah, I think defensively, it was it was probably mainly set pieces rather than overplay. I don't think Duff was particularly bad. It was probably the worst performance of the season, but said that about most of the players. I, mean, I voted for David Jones just because I think the the two games before the West Brom game, he was outstanding, and obviously he did nothing wrong with. Um, the game at the Hawthorns because he was injured so yeah I've voted for Jones but I'm pretty sure this one's going to be totally wide open Um, this month we've got a number of different ways that you can cast your vote I think the vote will be open for for the rest of the week at least as always you can vote on Twitter by using the hashtag ClaretsPOTM and the best ones will get published on the site as well if you add a message alongside your nomination there's a poll on the site as well that should be showing on the front page where uh, all the leading candidates are on that so you can vote just by clicking uh, the name of the player that you want. And also for the first time you can vote by text message included in technology here on No Name Ever. You can leave us voicemails and also text us. How great is this? The number that you need is 07520 and you need to text the squad number of your nomination to register it. So, for example, if you wanted to vote for Scott Sarfield, your message just needs to be his number, which is 37. And that number to vote by text for Player of the Month is 07520 Next on the agenda for this week's podcast is Question of the Week, which was to do with, obviously, the performance of the weekend. What went wrong and how can we fix it for Saturday at Leicester? I suppose it's quite wide-ranging for a question on Twitter, but we've got plenty of responses to it. Adam, can you talk us through some of them? Yep, uh, David Whitney uh, said everything was wrong and God knows how we can fix it. Uh, uh, Warren <laughs> Warren said we need to get our engine room fit and return to a 4-4-2. Defeats happen and there's no point dwelling. Uh, Michael Watson says squad depth is a problem and we can't fix it. Uh, ben Jones says it's it's too easy to blame individuals, the team or the board. Um, Burnley are just out of their depth. Uh, it's so depressing. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't help. This is the views of the people. It sounds like I'm the one being depressing. Stop trying to silence the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Laura Graham says that playing wingers and defenders as, a, as central midfielders 
um, was our problem. We, we can fix it next week by playing Chalabar and Hewitt if Jones and Marnie are, are out. Uh, James Peake said we were far too light in midfield with no protection for the back four. He prays that Marnie and Jones are fit in order to fix the problem. Uh, Matt Main says he thought Dyche got the starting midfield wrong. Um, changes had to be made, obviously, uh, but um, he thought they, they were the wrong choices. Uh, finally, John Percival says we were appalling in possession and kept giving the ball away. Midfield needs to work on movement when we have the ball. Uh, and that's the ve- the end of the very depressing question of the week. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's not been a very uplifting podcast all around, but there's only so much positivity you can bring to the table when you've been beaten 4-0 by a team that we all expected were going to be relegation candidates at the end. They don't got the number for Samaritans. <laughs> Read that one out as well. <laughs> anyway, looking ahead, let's look ahead to the weekend. Can't be as bad as the West Brom game. Another trip to the Midlands, Leicester this time. We used to have a good record at Leicester's new ground, whatever it's called this this year. But I think that record has maybe faded a little bit in the last couple of years. But still, it's another one of these games that we have to be looking at as a chance to get some points. And Ian, I'm sure Sean Dyche will be pressing his team for a strong response after the weekend's performance. Yeah, I'm sure he will. And, and he tends to get a reaction from the team, um, which gives me a little bit of hope. I think it all just comes down to who's fit and, and who's not. Um, but uh, it does worry me a little um, if we can't get some of those uh, lads back into centre midfield because, you know, Leicester can score with the, uh, as I saw today somewhere on Twitter, the England prospect uh, Vardy up front, which scares the life out of me, actually. Um, but nonetheless, um, he has been scoring, and uh, Nugent always scores against us, obviously. Um, so that that concerns me. They get their tails up, get the atmosphere going there, then uh, that could be uh, could be worrying. But uh, fingers crossed that we can get Jones and Marnie back in and uh, and get a, a better result. I think we're all hoping that Jones, Marnie, and Ings are all available, but we'll probably settle for two of those three being better. That's the Start the season quite well. I had a disappointing result at Crystal Palace, losing 2-1 at the weekend. Of course, we got a result at Palace, so maybe they're not that good a team, but beating Manchester United 5-3 from 3-1 down is one of the most eye-catching results of the season. Um, Adam, I suppose the, the big question is, are we going to be able to score? It's over 10 hours now since our last goal. Yeah, it depends on what uh, again on who's fit and what formation we start with. But assuming that uh, that Jukovic is going to play, and uh, looking like the most likely forward to score out of the ones that we've got, um, then uh, I I just don't know where the next goal is coming from. You really don't. Um, I, I would hope that that it's going to be a striker who scores it because I think they really need to start uh, putting some in the back of the net. Uh, sooner rather than later. But um, uh, if if we don't do it early in the game, I suspect that. Uh, that one of Leicester's three will because their forward line looks looks more than up for the job, far more than ours has done so far. Leo Wajoa, I'm so surprised by how well he started. He didn't score at the weekend, but he had five in five before that. And for a player who cost eight million, I, I thought he was overpriced, but he's done extremely well. And Jamie Vardy's specialist trick of winning penalties is adapting well to the, the Premier League as well. Kevin, what are you expecting from the weekend's game? It, just can't be as bad as, as Sunday, can it? Well, I was thinking that until Ian started talking a minute ago, and he basically gave him a free goal lead, uh, head start, <laughs> which <laughs> which was slightly concerning. 
Um, but yeah, Nugent does definitely always score against us, so we're going to have to score. So um, that probably is a one 0 defeat at least because we're, we we can't score. But yeah, hopefully um, this weekend will be a bit of a kick up the backside. Hopefully we we'll get a couple of players back in. Um, I'm going to go for my usual trademark um, prediction of a very, very optimistic 1-1. Well, you predicted 1-1 last week and it didn't go that well, did it? Let's have a prediction from you, Adam. Oh, jeez. Um, I would really like to predict us getting a win, but without any guarantee of uh, of our starting, our starting 11 uh, being there bang on, I think I'm going to have to predict a Leicester win uh, 2-0. It's not much fun when people on the podcast are predicting defeats for Burnley, but I suppose that's where we're at at the moment. Ian, and a scoreline from you, please. Well, clearly a 3 0 uh, to Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, it is a bit worrying, actually, that, uh, you know, I, I can only see a defeat for us, to be honest with you, unless we can get maybe all three back in and, and fit and fire in, but uh, I'm not feeling too positive about it. I think I agree. I think I think it is worth I think it's worth point, pointing out that um some of our best results last season followed some of our be- our worst results. Uh, whenever we had a really bad result we seemed to follow it up with a big stonking win. I think early on I think our first defeat of the season we followed up with a, a big three three nil. Um and after we after a really disappointing draw against Rovers at Turf Moor when we lost it at the end, I think we followed that'll be a really good result as well. Um so I think someone last season said that we were we were feeding on on hurt or something like that. I think it was a little bit more elegantly put than that. But there was something about the way Dice worked with the team. When we had a really big disappointment, we actually seemed to come back bigger and better than ever. So positivity, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point actually. And I think there is character in the squad, isn't there? Especially. Players like Scott Arfield we've seen has made mistakes and then bounced back. Obviously, um, he's not been great since missing the penalty at Sellers, but there's there's still scope for him to get better. You would hope that at least one or two of the injured players will be available and we might be able to go back to our, our favoured formation. Um, Adam, you've got a point to make there. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably been a little understated. Um, uh, I've not heard his name brought up very often, which is a bit of a surprise this podcast. But I think uh, a lot of what's going to happen at Leicester is down to the uh, what Sean Dyche is going to do. Because really, I think he could have set out a better formation and, and store for the team than uh, than he did at at, uh, at the Hawthorns. And uh, I th- he's still, like he said, like Dan said earlier, he's still learning, but I think he's got a big role to play in, in whether we get anything out of this one. People forget, don't they, that it's, a, it's as much a learning curve for Sean Dash as it is for the players. I mean, talk about the players not having a lot of Premier League experience, but it's Sean Dash's first experience in the top flight as well, and I'm sure he will have learned a lot from um, what was really a bit of a humiliation at, at West Brom. I'm sure we're not going to go into a game with a three-man central midfield, none of which are central midfielders again. Um, Ian, in terms of the formation then, do you think it is going to be a return to the four-four-two? Obviously... We're not really sure who's going to be available, but it'd be bold to go with the same formation after it, it didn't work, as much as the formation was maybe not to blame for the result. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be brave. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to think who was writing the article that I was reading earlier today, um, and just saying that, you know, Burnley maybe need to start getting on more of an attacking footing because clearly, you know, trying to defend for 90 minutes isn't going to work for us. 
Um, so, you know, I rather hope, I, I mean, I've been an advocate in the past of maybe going with the four five one. Um, unless we have the right players in there, then I don't think it's going to work for us. Um, so yeah, four four two. However, I think if we've got Jones and Moyni back in there. I'd still be tempted to to try that formation again, um, and see what we do there because I think we will be under pressure, um, and uh, it's going to be a bit uh, potentially another kind of a rear guard action at Leicester. Um, so you know maybe if we have got the the two centre midfield lads back in there, then we could stick with that formation again at least for a while. Yeah, I agree. I really don't think we should throw out the. The idea of playing four five one just because it didn't work when we didn't have any players available, I think that would be a really unfair, um, an unfair way to look at it. If, if I think even on Sunday, if we'd have put Shalborn instead of Reed, and maybe been able to pick anyone else instead of Ross Wallace, then maybe it would have worked a bit better. I mean, obviously, it's still a lack of specialist central midfielders, but. If you had Jones and Marnie back and you've got Shellbar in there as well, then that can be a strong central three and that gives you the foundation. And I always say when you play the five in midfield, the point is you get the wingers further up the pitch. So you get Boyd and Arfield pushed really high up to Jukovic and it's in effect 4-3-3 when you're on the attack. So with Arfield being our main goal threat this season, I think that's that's why I would advocate playing that formation, but I would completely understand if Dash does go back to two up front, especially given goals have been a problem. You'd think one way to get around that would be to throw another striker in the team. Kevin, what do you think Dash is going to be thinking about this week? Um, I think I think it's, I think you, you touched on it a second ago, um, but I think people, I think ho- hopefully people are realizing now that Dash is learning as well. I think you've got you've got quite a lot of criticism in the summer, and as you've been saying along when you've been criticising the uh, the the in dice we trust mansion, you've been you've been telling people you know not to not, that it doesn't really make any sense. He's not he's not God, and last time I built someone up as God, it didn't go down too well. Um, and because I, I think people did build him up to be this this big build miracle maker, and he's he's been incredible. He's done fantastic for us, but yeah, he he is learning, um, and hopefully he will learn. Um, I said that in my piece on the site um, that although he made a lot of mistakes, hopefully you know he's still a very young man. You've got to you've got to remember that until he he came to but he's he, until he last season was only his first real full season as a manager, which is quite incredible, really. So he's still learning things. Um, so I, I think he'll he'll he will learn, he'll take a lot from 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 uh, the West Brom defeat. And hopefully he'll go for a bit of an in between. I think I, I really do hope he, we can go, we can try that four five one out. And hopefully we can. I hope he hasn't been put off the the idea. And hopefully we can try it with hopefully with Jones and Marnie. Because like you said, I think it really does. If if we are going to get those players forward, it does. We do need that foundation as well. And I think having Jones and Marnie in there, especially if we can get Shalabu in there as well, it gives you that bit of confidence that when we do lose a ball, they're, they're you know they're going to be able to break it up and give us that bit of. Um, a bit of a solid foundation behind. So hopefully, I really do hope we still go with our four-five-one at the weekend. But just that it, it makes a little bit more sense than it did uh, against West Brom. Yeah, well, taking Reed and Wallace out of the team would probably be a good start. Um, I don't want to labour this point because I do go on about it quite a lot. But to make ten signings over the summer and then have a starting eleven that looks as weak as the one at the weekend. Ian, surely that's an indictment that we got it completely wrong and didn't go after the right quality players. 
players who were supposed to be the cover proved themselves to be miles from good enough, didn't they? Well, I remember a few weeks ago on the transfer window podcast special, or however we advertised it, um, that yeah, I think we, we asked the same question. And, and my comments on that, and I think probably other people's comments too, were yeah, we bought what I thought at the time was kind of squad depth. We haven't bought anybody that was going to come in and improve the first 11. What worries me, I think, is the gap between the first 11 and what and the players that we have, you know, sitting in reserve, um, who, for me, haven't shown that they're good enough for the Premiership. And, you know, I, I, I put people like Barnes into that category, certainly Sordell, um, who, you know, I, I just really don't get at all. Um, it's going to cause us huge problems, I think, during the course of the season if we can't bring in some more quality. Well, we had the same problem last season, didn't we, as well? When Whenever someone out of the 11 was missing, the drop-off in quality was huge, and we don't seem to have learned a lot from that. I think I said last week that it just seems amazing that Danny Ings is out injured, and you'd probably call him a £10 million player if people like Ross McCormack are moving for those sorts of money. And Next in line is Ashley Barnes and Marvin Sordell, like £500,000 championship strikers. It just seems... Incredible to me that that's the drop off, and I agree that Barnes, Sodell, not Premier League players, not even close to being Premier League players, and you could add maybe Kitely to that, maybe Reed, Stephen Ward. We've not seen yet, but I think the way Ben Mee played on Sunday, if Ward's not in the team at Leicester, it's probably an indication of of how highly he's rated. So probably five or six players that we've signed in the last year who were not fit for purpose for me, and um, Adam. A lot of the targets that we went after seemed to be the right quality, but we just didn't manage to get them done. But surely it's surely there's a problem if you're going after these midfielders at five, six million players like Lansbury and MacArthur that we couldn't get, but you end up with Stephen Reed in Shallowbar. Yeah, look, I'm not so I'm not so fussed about Shallowbar because I think he's a good loan signing. Although obviously he's second to what we what we had in mind originally, but um. Uh, it's it's difficult to tell where the problem stems from, whether it's in identifying them as targets in the first place or whether we didn't pursue them the right way or whether they just weren't going to come no matter what we did. Um, uh, no matter what happens, I think uh, th- what what needs to happen for us to stay up is that next window we've got to have learned from our mistakes and we've got to sign people who are appropriate for the decision, who can come straight into a premiership team and get hit the ground running really fast because I don't think we've got any time to waste now. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the problem is we've signed players who are worse than what we already had when you should be signing players better. Um, Kevin, is it just the case of um, these players being injured and it's just bad luck or, or is it part of the wider trend going back to the transfer window? Um... I, I I definitely agree. I think we we've brought in ten like I say we've brought in ten players and I don't even think we, we we've we've improved if we improve the squad that much. Like you say, we've brought in Reed who looks on on Saturday's showing to be pretty diabolical. Um, Dan the West Brom fan was talking earlier saying that he pretty much thinks the same and that he's his legs have gone it right back. Um, his legs have gone certainly for midfield, so 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 so, so I, I really I don't really know why he was brought in. Um, Taylor's looked lacking in fitness when he's played so far. Um, 
we, we for some reason Dice is really not wanting to play Shalimar. Um Sordell is 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 Sordell. I don't really know what else you can say about that. Um, I, I I really don't know how, how the squad has improved at, at, at all. Like I say, it's all well and good having the likes of. Actually, you know, last season we had uh, Ryan Noble coming off the bench. Well, not 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 coming off the bench, but he was the second um, in in command if any of um, Ings and, and Vox went out. But but it, I, I really don't think having Sordelli is actually much better because if Noble didn't add anything to the game and Sordell doesn't add anything to, to the game, then is he any better? Um, you look at you. You can say we've probably swapped. Um, Stanislas for Taylor, um, and I, I, I'd much, much, much rather on, on the showing so far have 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 Stanislas. Um, yeah, Taylor's created our only goal so far, but I think that's pretty much all he's done. I don't think he's the type of player who's going to come on and offer something different and and can come and change the game. I think he's very much um, very similar to what we've got. Whereas Stanislas was that type of player who could come on and change something. Same with Tracy actually as well. Tracy is one of those players who. Was pretty naff, but he did have that quality to come on and potentially change the game. And you look at our bench last season; we had much more ch- ch- game changes than we do this season. I don't. There was a st- stat earlier um, I saw on Twitter saying that um, Dice uses his subs later than anybody else in the Premier League by some distance. But I think you could say that's a criticism of Dykes for not making subs, but it's just we haven't got anyone who... You look at the bench and say, OK, we need things are not going right. Who can we bring on to change the game? You look at the bench and it's just tumbleweed because there was nobody, whereas last season there were. So I actually think we've made all these players, but actually our squad is actually... I'd say our squad is weaker now than it was um, a few months ago. I think... The problem is a lot of the players we've signed are these sort of utility players on that can play in various positions. Like talked a lot about Reed and he's probably cover for three or four different positions and Reed's essentially replaced Chris Baird in the squad and do that sort of utility man job. But you've got players like Stephen Ward who are the same and when he signed we had fans trying to argue that he could play up front on Twitter and it's like are you seriously suggesting Stephen Ward's gonna play up front for us in the Premier League? Has it got that bad? But the way Barnes and Sordell have been playing, I, I wouldn't be adverse to giving Water run up front now. Barnes and Sordell, people keep telling me that that they're doing all right, and I just look at them and go, "We're meant to be in the Premier League. How are these? How are these players getting a game for us?" But the main problem for me is the lack of pace as well, and there's just no pace in the team. And you're right, Kevin. You look at the bench to see what's on there to change it, and there's just nothing that really leaps out. You think. If we're in a position where we need a goal, what have we got? I think the end of the Sunderland game, didn't we bring on Stephen Reid for the last five minutes? Like, are we not going to try and win the game? Have we not got an attacker to put on? So, yeah, it's disheartening for me, but hopefully, hopefully, it will be better at Leicester on Saturday. Um, it should be a big following at Leicester as well. I think tickets are only nineteen pounds, so there should be a lot of Burnley fans there. If you're not at the game, we will have. NNN Live up and running as normal from probably about half past two um, and like I said earlier NNN call after the game we'll have all the details about that on Twitter and Facebook etc as well if you don't follow us on Twitter you can do um, at net and our Facebook is slash net as well player of the month is the big thing that we need to plug before we do round off for this week's show 
and that vote will be open for the rest of the week and there's various ways you can vote all the details are on the site but I'll run through them quickly now you can vote on Twitter using the hashtag Clarets POTM um, and add a message and we'll use the best ones on the site as well there's a poll on the site that we'll put a link to, we'll make sure we link to that all week on social media etc and you can also text us using modern technology mobile phones and that text us your vote you need to text just the squad number of your nomination so for example for Scott Arthur you'll just text 37 and the number is 07520615224 that number again 07520615224 but that is about all we've got time for on this week's podcast hopefully it'll be a more um, more positive more optimistic podcast for you next week but um, yeah there's only so much positive stuff you can say about a, a 4-0 defeat I suppose thanks to guests this week Ian Creamer, Adam Heat, Kevin Robinson and Dan the West Brom fan from Baggy Sykes Dan, Dan the West Brom fan was very good we'll have to tell him that Dan the West Brom fan sounds like some sort of rapper or something I think he's he's missing out on not getting more out of that but yeah that's that's it for this week and hopefully next week it will be better goodbye away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.